welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And Elliot, we are back this fortnight to talk about 36 Questions, the world's first, only, maybe, podcast musical. Yeah. Uh, and so, beginning with the traditional plot summary. Uh, <laughs> I, it, you say it like that every time, and yes, it always do. cracks me up. <laughs> um, so... This is the story of a manipulative woman called Judith, who sometimes goes by Natalie, uh, whose husband has pretty justifiably run off uh, because he found out that she's like lied to him about pretty much everything. Uh, and so she kind of traps him in a house that he's ruined uh, and tries to convince him to get back together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that, and that sort of goes on for a while. There's a bunch of stuff that happens. He eventually... Uh, realizes that that's not a good idea um, and and runs off again. And then there's a, a couple of time skips and, and this is the end, so spoilers. Um, Whoa. He, he kind of, eight, eight years later, he has a son and he's starting to sort of miss her and he wants to get back together with her and she kind of comes back and I guess it's like an ambiguous ending, but I kind of got the impression that she was, she'd kind of moved on and she was telling him to do the same and they just sort of talked about, you know, uh, you know, we, we had our chance and we didn't take it or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah that, so... that must be our quickest plot summary <laughs> yeah. yet, I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I made it pretty clear where I land on Judith's behavior uh, for the first yes. two two parts. Um, I thought she was pretty unfair to, to Jace, the, the husband. She sort of puts all this pressure on him to get back with her, and I don't think she's very fair to him, um, like, because it turns into this whole thing where she's kind of judging him for constantly running away from his problems, but yeah, I think he, he's she... more specifically running away from her and her constant attempts to manipulate and control him. She um, sets up a real false equivalence where she's like, yeah. well, yeah, I lied for you for two years and lied about everything in our relationship where we're married, but you ran away after it was revealed that I had lied, so yeah. who's to blame? <laughs> Um, and she seemed a lot more sensible about that in the later things. So it seems like she'd come to her senses, but there were definitely moments where she was sort of constantly trying to pressure Jace into getting back with her that I was just like, oh, you know, you, you need a reality check. Yeah. Um, Even the way, I mean, obviously it's a bit of an awkward situation, right? Your husband has kind of fled after finding out that you lied directly to his face for two years. And then you track him down to, to try and reconcile with him. Well, but and, and the way she least, goes about it. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the way she starts off is a little bit because she more just is like, oh, let me explain. And that's sort of why he lets her in. Like, it's this whole thing where he's like, you know, I just really want to hear it. And she's pretty clearly she wants to reconcile. And yeah. I don't think he was out of line sort of registering that, but still just really wanting the truth. But then it, it's after she does finally get around to telling him the truth, which still takes her a while because it's not something she's proud of. Um, she then, he then, he's still kind of like, no, we shouldn't get back together. And that's when she starts to get mad and really turn it around on him and be like, yeah, well you ran away. And that was the bit where I was like, oh, you know, but, but but for that first chunk where it was like, she still wanted to get back together and she was doing what she could to get his forgiveness. I thought they were both being fairly sensible in that part. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because she, there are things, (laughs) there are parts to the way she acts, which kind of set me on edge right from the get-go, she kind of treats it like, hey, let's just treat this like we're having a first date and we'll go about it, we'll give it another shot. But it's not really valid, you know? Um, Well, she is very manipulative, manipulative, and he just kind of lets her get away with it because he just wants the truth. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about the plot and the yeah, characters yeah. <laughs> for about five minutes, which I don't think I've done about any, you know, I don't think I would ever have impassioned discussions about the motivations of characters in a musical before, you know, like. No, and, and part of that's definitely, this is, you know, this goes for two to three hours, um, I think, like once you take away the ads and, and all that. Yeah. Um, but it's only got the two characters. Like uh, Cody, the kid, is introduced for you know probably the second half of the last. Uh, well, it's like the last half hour basically has yep. a third character, and because it's a kid, all he really does is just have a few lines that really just interject um, extra plot points and stuff. Um, yeah. But for the most part, it's it's two and a half hours of just two characters. Um, and so that obviously, you know, it's much more of a deep dive into the two of them than and a normal musical would be. It's it's not just two characters as well. It's two characters at their most emotionally vulnerable, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is an interesting dynamic. Um, so have you had you heard of the thirty six questions? I don't know if we we had talked about this yeah. in the in the prescription <laughs> part. Uh, yeah. So no, I hadn't. Um, and in fact, when I was trying to, because I'd forgotten. Um, when you told me Jonathan Groff was the man, uh, you know, the guy who plays Jace. So I was like, oh, that voice sounds familiar. So I tried to Google the musical to find out who played him and instead got hit with articles about the actual 36 questions, which was, a, I believe, a New York Times thing. Um, yep. it, it was some scientific experiment to see if they could come up with 36 questions that will instantly make strangers kind of uh, feel very emotionally attached. Yeah, the the way they pitched it is the thirty six questions that lead to love. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it was a great it was a great thing to center a love story around for that reason. Um, I actually really enjoyed the way the thirty six questions were integrated into the musical. I was actually a little bit bummed to find out they were a real thing because um, it seemed so perfect for the thing. I I liked to think they'd made it up. Mm. Um, yeah, I I think it's a good a good uh framing for for the musical because it it gives you this sense of uh you know like the the musical the plot is obviously about this emotional rawness um and so these yeah. questions are a great way to one have these characters be emotionally raw and two like prompt deeper emotional discussions yeah exactly um, like it's a great way to force them to have to bring up all these bits of their past and their and the rest of their life yeah, and not just the emotional stuff, even like... Um, so I don't think you mentioned this in the plot summary, but they did these 36 questions. They asked them of each other on their first date. Um, and so yeah. uh, Judith brings them a printout of them so that they can kind of recapture what led them to fall in love. Um, and so they, they even are just kind of at times reminiscing about the answers that they gave when they first met. Yeah, it's definitely, and this is partially due to the performance, but the the first half of the thing where it's this reunion, you know, and they, they do sort of almost get back together, it it feels very realistic. Like the the way that there's still, there's so much animosity there, mostly on Jace's side, but there's still yeah. that connection they had because obviously they, they got married. So like, you know, there was something there and, and, and you know, it doesn't like one terrible betrayal doesn't make those feelings just instantly go away as Jace discovers eight years later. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and so like it, it, it feels very genuine. Um, the whole thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a musical. Let's, yes. let's talk about some of the songs. Yeah. So first off, and maybe I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, 
I actually had one thing uh, in my notes uh, as I first started because I was really... One thing, Elliot? No, well, I was, yeah, there was one thing I had early on in my notes because I was just like, this m- musical, I was like, the music isn't that great and they've really overdone the auto-tune and I don't know why they're doing this. Um, and so it turns out, like, I was listening to this in my podcast listener um, because it's uh, available as a podcast and I usually listen to podcasts on 1.5 speed. Oh, no. So if, if you're going to listen to this, people, uh, make sure that your podcast uh, player is set down to one time speed because I got half an hour in before I had to restart because I realized that I'd been listening to it completely wrong. Everything was an octave up from where it should be and twice uh, as fast. Yeah, the tunes were weird. The, vo- the voices were definitely what got destroyed the most. Like the singing sounded very off and auto-tuned. And uh, it, it, it wasn't a fun experience. Uh, so I had to go back to the start to really give it a fair crack. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot better uh, that way. Right. Um, <laughs> good, good. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the songs. Um, I don't... It, it's interesting because for me, usually musicals are the sort of thing where I go and see it and then I, I fall in love with a particular few set of songs and I'll probably put those... like I'll load them up in Spotify and play them ad nauseum. Uh, and then fall in love with the rest of the soundtrack as well. Mm. Um, whereas the, and that's because most musicals are quite, a lot of the songs are very bombastic and, and large, whereas these ones were quite mellow. Like this is a very small story and the songs reflect that by kind of being mostly quite calm. Like even the upbeat jazzy ones are still quite mellow. Um, yeah. So like this isn't really, I, I've been listening to, to some songs for this and, and I've still grown attached to them on Spotify, but it hasn't, it didn't really grab me in the same way that like something like Heather's, which, which we did, you know, uh, a couple of months ago now, Heather's mm. after we went and saw that, I immediately just started listening to that, like, you know, at work and stuff, um, uh, as a song. And, and I haven't really found myself doing that with this one, but that's more of a reflection of what I like to listen to at work, I think, than how much I liked the songs. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I've, you know, I first listened to this a while ago, maybe a year ago. I don't know. But since then, this is a, a lot of the times the the musical songs that I'll listen to will be based on what musicals I've seen recently, right? Yeah, sure. But 36 Questions is one that's just kind of always been something that I will listen to. Um, and I sure. think it is because it's different. You know, it's like you're saying, it's it's intimate. It's not... Yeah. It's a musical, <laughs> but it doesn't have as much of the musical trappings that you would that you would associate with musicals traditionally, right? No, I think I said in the Heather's uh, episode that a lot of rock musical type songs all kind of sound the same to me. Like, there's obviously differences, but it, they all they all sound kind of equivalent to me, and, and I enjoy them all. But um, these ones don't feel like musical songs to me. They're just kind of little heartwarming songs they and, and they're great but they don't feel like musical songs to me and so they're just different mm. they're not better or worse interesting um yeah uh, one thing i wanted to talk about with you was the idea of this being um produced like audio produced right um, yeah obviously podcasts have become popular with with these breakout hits like serial which are these like well produced audio experiences um yeah and and thirty six questions has an advantage over other musicals in that it can be like that in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, because it, it is interesting, you know, choreo- as we sort of said, choreography is such an important part of of a normal musical. Um, yeah, 
and this one kind of has to do away with it and it does some interesting stuff which uh, i'll probably talk about in a bit but um yeah this you know and and it showed in the credits at the end how much work went into actually producing this and and it it shows like the audio quality was great especially at one times speed (laughs) (laughs) um i'd be interested to hear what what the audio things that the the production things that you liked about it were well so one thing that really stood out to me was um in so you know like what musicals usually do to differentiate different scenes is they'll change the set so they'll mm. they'll put a different uh canvas in the background and they'll move um you know props around and stuff uh yep. they kind of did the same thing with sound props so you know like there's a great scene that takes place in the car and so there's like like a running car noise throughout the whole background of the scene. And then they hop out of the car into a storm uh, on a beach. And so, you know, you hear all this wind and, and there's some little waves in the background. And, and so it was like de- great details like that, which added to the ambience of the whole thing and also helped to differentiate the scenes in my memory. Like like I can specifically recall what happened in the various scenes because I had that extra sound association with them. So that was mm. that was a really cool thing to do to make up for the lack of props and and uh scene dressing Mm. yeah interesting interesting um so you mentioned we we touched on the time skip i want to kind of dive a bit more into the ending and what yeah you thought about it you know just because it it, (laughs) the the Mm. first three-fifths of this story take place on this one night right um but then that closes and (laughs) we we go forward we hit the fast forward button basically until we hit eight years in the future yeah um and and it's all built through that framing device of uh judith's phone being a recording device which sometimes felt a bit forced um Mm. during the time skip and right at the start but um was was particularly great in some of the later bits Mm. especially as they sort of started to call back to it um through their through their dialogue but i I really like the time skip in this i thought because like i guess Mm. the the point of this story was it was really talking about whether people belong together or not um or yeah like whether this such a thing as a soulmate and stuff or you know whether these two should have gotten together and um i think to really evaluate that it makes sense that you'd want to jump way forward into the future where they didn't to sort of say that it doesn't matter yeah i mean if if we're assuming that this story t- talks about the idea of soulmates and stuff like that whenever stories usually deal with that, the conclusion they come to is, well, these people end up together and that's the end of the story, you know, but that's not how the world works. Stories don't just end when you get married to your soulmate in air quotes, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. I I find it very interesting that this story kind of has that, what could be an ending with Judith saying, no, I'm going to let him have his space. I'm going to let him go. And then it, it keeps going it keeps going right yeah uh and i don't think i was ready for quite how heavy and emotional this story was going to be um i especially because the the start is kind of much more upbeat so Mm. i was hit pretty hard by i think it's the end of the second part i kind of listened to parts two and three together so it's a bit blurry um the, the end of the second part, uh, I believe, is where she... That's where she makes the decision to just sort of let him go. Mm. Um, and so she gives him the phone, and, and that's quite emotional. And then again, at the end, um, mixed in with your kind of... I, I don't know, for me, there's still this default kind of anger at ambiguous endings that I generally accept, like, an hour or so after I've dealt with the ending. But 
at first. I'm just kind of like, no, I need closure. Yeah. Um, and then I've eventually learned to accept that. No, the point is you don't always get that. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Well, yeah, let's, let's touch on this. I mean, the ending is ambiguous, right? The ending is, uh, you, you said your interpretation of it, which is you get the sense that she's saying, no, I've moved on. You should move on. Um, I, yeah. I think I was left with the impression of it that she she basically was in a healthier place mentally, but ready to kind of reassess whether they would make a good match, basically. Yeah, there's definitely... And that's sort of why I, I, I felt it was ambiguous, because I got the impression that she was sort of... Or that they were sort of saying, no, maybe we didn't. But there's definitely also a sense of, oh, let's give it another try. So yeah, I, I didn't... I didn't exactly know where I landed on it, so I still lean more towards them saying no. But I could totally, if the if the creators suddenly you know came and told me no, 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 they gave it another try, I'd be more than willing to accept that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are you ready for the sequel? Thirty-seven questions, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too many questions. I don't know if they can oh, do it. That's that's so many questions. <laughs> um, no, maybe it'll be a prequel. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm interested to just hear your overall thoughts on it, right? What It's a different th- beast, um, so how did yeah. you find it? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because when you sort of said it was, like, you know, almost one of a kind, like this, this idea of a musical podcast type thing, my first thought was, that's weird, I would have thought there'd be lots of those, and then my second thought was, you know, oh, I've never thought to look for one of them, so mm. it's kind of this weird thing where I all, simultaneously are like, oh, that's a good idea that I never would have thought of, but also, why isn't everyone doing that? Um, <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed it um, a lot, like, it, it, it was fun, and I'd be keen to see more of these, particularly if they're, you know, this this good quality, um, you know, the, the performances and the editing and the, the writing and the concept role really good and i enjoyed them yeah i don't know i guess my only worry with this sort of medium is usually podcasts to me are something i listen to while i'm doing other things like driving or or chores or something um and i definitely found myself when i tried to sit down and just listen to this i drift off pretty easily Mm. um but this this did a pretty good job of you know keeping me dragging me back in when i did start to drift off through through the sound design and stuff so i definitely keen to see more we've we've talked about the idea of it being a new thing i think i think it's comparable to something like uh like a crazy ex-girlfriend or a flight of the concords you know where it's it's a scripted thing you know those two were obviously comedies whereas this is a drama slash comedy um scripted musical content you know uh this is just in a new format which is a an interesting interesting new direction i guess i'm interested to see if yeah. people make more of them yeah yeah i'm definitely i mean you know like obviously you know i'm definitely keen to check more out if if there are more so that's that means it's a, it did pretty well i think it's right. a good thing well let's get to the bit that people skip ahead f- to the end of the episode for what do you <laughs> <laughs> what's the review score what are you going to give it out of 10 uh, I'm going to give this one a seven and a half. We do halves, right? I, I'm, yeah. I'm sticking with it. I'm we, seven we're the and hosts. Half. We make the rules, Elliot. <laughs> give it a 7.64. Okay. No, just 7.5. Yeah. 7.36. Um, seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. And so ends our discussion on 36 questions. But don't worry. We have more discussion to go because I'm bringing you another thing, Elliot. I'm doing a two in a rower. 
Yes. Um, and this one is, I think, the opposite type of media. If media had uh, <laughs> was linearly arranged, 36 Questions is at one end, and this book that I'm bringing called Last Chance to See is at the complete other end. Um, okay. How do I sell this book? It's... <laughs> uh, it's a book from 1989 where Douglas Adams, who people might know as the author behind the Hitchhiker's Guide series, teams up with a biologist, Mark Carwardine, to go and visit a bunch of animals that are endangered or thought to be extinct or on the verge of extinction and just find them and just talk about the experience of going to see them. <laughs> okay. That's it. And so obviously, you know? like... Douglas Adams was presumably picked to make this book not depressing as hell. Like, I assume he's adding a light touch uh, to yeah. what is a pretty dark topic. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't know the story about why he was originally picked. Uh, he originally did a did a trip like this to see lemurs with him and Mark Carwardine, and then they kind of expanded the concept and shopped it around and then did a, a radio drama that they then also wrote a book about, um, and that's this book. Um, okay. But you're right that he brings this... I, I think this is the reason I like this book so much, is Douglas Adams brings this science fiction lens where he writes about these humorous civilizations and societies, but he just... Instead of fictional ones, he just writes about our world, real world humanity and, and bureaucracy. Um, and it's great. It's hilarious um, and informative, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I like that concept. I mean, it kind of, it reminds me of what we were sort of talking about a bit with Orange is the New Black, where Orange is the New Black hides its serious themes kind of behind the comedy to make it more accessible. And yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm walking in at the moment with the impression that that's partially what this book tries to do as well. Uh, in some ways. I mean, you know, the reason that science fiction is great is because it allows us to examine um, hypothetical situations which are a reflection of our own kind of world, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> and if it makes sense, this is doing that, but not with hypothetical situations. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard to describe, but um, each okay. animal that they go and see ends with douglas adams making a point about something you know about whether it's about how we've drifted away from nature or whether it's about kind of bureaucracy and what that leads to or whether it's about the kind of industry of um animal you know tourism to visit specific animals it's it's <laughs> yeah it's kind of indescribable how the book functions <laughs> um but Beyond that, you know, it's a funny book. He's a very funny author uh, in the sense yeah. that he will describe the mundane activities of going to find one of the last 20 northern white rhinos. And most of the book is just him talking about, like, what different rhino horns look like and how they're indistinguishable from termite mounds and it makes for a very frustrating safari trip or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's what I remember the most. I, I read the Hitchhiker's trilogy of five books. Um <laughs> back when I was a teenager and, and loved it. And that's that's sort of what I remember is his, he, he'd just have these long passages describing something like a game of cricket, um, which is, you know, a pretty boring subject to write about. And just the, the way he'd sort of bring it to life was, was hilarious. And Yeah. Um, um, yeah. He's known for being a very kind of witty writer and using words in a lot of interesting ways. And that definitely comes through in this book as well. Um, awesome. One of the other things I love about this book is... 
it's got, I mean, he was traveling with Mark Cowardine, who is a biologist. And so Mark was just taking a lot of pictures of all the stuff that they saw. And so as you're, as you're reading through this book um, and, and hearing about these kind of fantastical things, you'll turn a page and you'll just get to a section of photos where you just get to connect more with this thing, you know? Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's interesting because it, reading about these animals, you do feel disconnected from them. But then suddenly you turn a picture and it's this, this you know, bird tracker that you've been hearing about holding one of these birds in his hands. And you're just like, this isn't a science fiction book, actually. This is a real thing that I can see and, and <laughs> connect with. Um, yeah, it's just this book is a real experience, Elliot. <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to it. Yeah, um, I guess that's all I've got to say about it for now. Well, I guess the, so the one other thing I, I think I, we should bring up just because I went and ordered this um, mm just recently there's another book with the same name by stephen fry i think it was and we're not talking about that one right so uh they they basically did another version of this um so the the original was in 1989 uh stephen fry and mark cowardy and the same biologist went around to revisit a bunch of the animals that that um douglas adams and mark cowardy uh did um i haven't read that version i should I, I'm not as big of a fan of Stephen Fry as I am of Douglas Adams, though, so I'm not, you know, I'm not as Fair in enough. the zone about it. But um, yeah, we're talking about the 1989 original. There, it's a it's a hard book to find, but you can find it. You should. <laughs> I would recommend it, and I am recommending it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that's us for 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 this fortnight. Uh, before we before we head into the the regular housekeeping sh- spiel, though. I thought we should give another little shout out to the second show that we have started doing. Um, do you want to do you want to fill the audience in about it, Elliot? Yeah. So this other show is called Deep Impact, uh, and we have two to three episodes a week now, uh, and we're following along on the anniversary of Pact, which is a, a web serial that Ruben really likes, and I am also liking so far. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, just sort of talking about each chapter on the, on its anniversary, and and you know, sort of following along, and it's it's been pretty fun so far. Yeah, um, we're six chapters in now. Uh, it's definitely not too late to to just start again, though. Reading those six chapters will probably take you about an hour and a half. So you can catch yeah. up and uh, kind of enjoy it with us week by week. I think the problem that many people are facing is it's quite hard to not just read more than one chapter of this book at a time. <laughs> yes, it does seem like the majority of our audience so far are people who have already read it because they're the only ones willing to keep pace with us again. Uh <laughs> Most of the people who joined us for the first couple of episodes have run off. Yep, have already have already got far ahead of us, um, which I think is a glowing recommendation for the book. But uh, yes. if you want to see why we love it, you can check it out yourself. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes of this episode. So that's the end of Media MD for this fortnight. Uh, we'll be back in a fortnight, of course, to talk more about Last Chance to See. If you want to follow along with us, you can check out our website, which is MediaMDPodcast.com. From there, you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook for other kind of social avenues where you can stay up to date on all of our episodes, as well as a link to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, so our website has all those things, our discussion threads, ways to contact us, as well as all of the previous clues for the MediaMD ARG. You can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why is his duck so obnoxious. Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? She is. She is, and we will see you next fortnight.